How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Celtics are undefeated through their first week of the regular season. Jason Tatum looks like a bona fide MVP, but a lack of big man depth might already be rearing its ugly head. All of that and so much more next on First to the Floor. Hey, hey, welcome back into another live recording of First to the Floor and shout out to everyone listening to the pod a little bit later on. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. And I'm joined as I often am by one Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how you doing, sir? How could I not be feeling great, Ben? I mean, a little choppy of a W last night, but ah, whatever. for the most part, 3-0. and <laughs> And more importantly, the Lakers are 0-3. Mm, so it doesn't yes. get much better to start a season. Absolutely. And also with us, Hot Take Jake, a.k.a. Jake Eisenberg. <laughs> a happy Monday to you, Jake. How was your weekend, buddy? Mate, perfect weekend. Um, bit of sun. Lakers keep losing. Sixers keep losing. Celtics keep winning. Good times. Let's roll. Absolutely. Yeah, things are looking up early days here for the Celtics, but uh, we're enjoying it. Look, so much to get to here. The Celtics, as we've said already, have gifted us three beautiful wins. The basketball gods have gifted us uh, three beautiful Philadelphia 76ers losses, and you know we're going to get to that as well as the Lakers. Let's start here, guys, with the recap for the Celtics. Wayne Spoonie, three games, three wins, all coming in various uh, fashions, I'd say. Uh, what are your initial takeaways from week one here for the Celtics? Yeah. Oh, first of all, I think it's uh, it's really nice to be tested early in the season like this with the Sixers and the Heat and to the lesser extent, the Magic, who I think are going to cause a lot of problems for people, honestly, during the season. Three very different teams in the play styles that they all play. You know, Philly is a post up team uh, with, you know, a, ball, a very selfish ball handler, which is unique. And then the Heat where they just kind of hit you from all different angles with a bunch of different guys and that aggressive defense. Um, and then the magic where they basically start three, seven footers. Um, so the fact that they were able to pass the test against all these different types of teams with three very different play styles, I think is a very good sign. And my main takeaway is, man, the offense is looking Really damn good. Woo! That ball is popping around, man. And both the Jays have come into the season on a mission. Yeah, the, I think that's that's it right there, is that they're showing that they can win in different ways. And the Celtics have been an elite playoff team for the entirety of Jason Tatum and even Marcus Smart's career. Um, and it's the ability to play different ways, you know, Fast, slow, grind win and out wins out against the Heat. They can go off and explode against the Sixers and the Magic. Um, and there's a there's a different level of intensity to the to the team that I haven't seen from them, especially to start the year. I think we saw this from them kind of in round one against Brooklyn last year. They were like aggressively locked in. Yeah, and like yeah, it, it's it's carried over, and um, they look like. They look like one of the best teams in the league, if not the best so far. Yeah, intensity and maturity as well. Like pretty much the entire team straight up just looks like they know what they're doing. And we're in this insane position where our best players are like 25 years old, but have this like veteran elder statesman leadership sort of vibe to them, which is incredibly unique and rare. And in these three games so far to me, it's felt like we've been in control throughout each game. Like like you mentioned, Spoonie, like, there haven't been the... Uh, I guess the sexiest of victories. Right. Um, 
And Tatum touched on that in his post-game interview with Abby Chin uh, yesterday, which we'll get to. But like title teams, they have this inherent ability to win games, even when they're not firing in all cylinders. Uh, and that's what it's, it's looked like through these first three games. Um, the Celtics just finding ways to win, even though they're clearly not um, at their best. Let's run down the list here of emerging storylines and trends uh, early in the season. Got to start with Jason Tatum. Am I right now with the Celtics all-time record <laughs> for points scored in the first three games of the season? Currently averaging just under 35 points per game, 8.3 rebounds, three assists, just under two blocks uh, per game, and just two turnovers per game, which is pretty insane like given his insane usage rate so far. Um, 8.2 free throws per game as well, which is very indicative of his adjusted play style. Jake, you put out a video prior to the season highlighting some areas for improvement in Tatum's finishing around the basket, particularly floaters. <laughs> what have you seen from Tatum in that aspect so far? Yeah, I feel... I feel very um, validated. I haven't, it was like my first ever, ever one of those videos kind of like breaking down something like that. And the three things that I wanted him to come into the season working on was, you know, going through contact and, you know, getting to the rim with more force, floaters and getting stronger. And he's done all three of those things, the the floater game and the in-between game. I'll, I'll play a clip here of, of some of the floaters from the from the first few games. That was kind of... You know, one of the last pieces to his offensive game. And to, to see him add this, like if he's able, he's not, you know, overusing this. It's just he, he's kind of using it as needed, which is perfect. His feel for the game, oh, the way that he avoids the Jimmy Butler <laughs> deal there. Like, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. I got, I got some, I have some stats to kind of yes. add to this here, Jake. So last year in the paint, non-restricted area. He shot 40.3%. This year, 55.6. And he's taking almost two more field goal attempts within five feet. So not only is he not missing in the uh, the uh, non-restricted area, he's also getting all the way to the rim a lot more often and shooting 80% at the rim, which is pretty good. Last year, he was at 65%, which is also really good. Um, and I was uh, thinking like, <laughs> It feels like he's being used a little bit differently, maybe a little bit more off screens. Um, he's he's averaging about one less pick and roll a game mm -hmm. and about half of an ISO less per game. So he is not handling the ball quite as much, but he's still yeah. a huge uh, part of the ball handling. He's still doing a lot of those play types, especially for a forward. And in, coincidentally, his usage rate is exactly the same at 31.3% this year. Literally to the point. Yeah. So <laughs> that's crazy. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. everything you were talking about, Jake, he's done it, man. He looks so damn unstoppable. Yeah. And in, yeah, the, go on, Ben. Well, the, the stat that I had here was he's shooting 77% on shots from within 10 feet on 10 attempts per game. <laughs> so high amount of shots from within that range, making almost all of them. I'm not saying that that's sustainable, but last season he was. 58% from that same range on less attempts per game. So um, uh, things are, you know, looking up in, in yeah. as well. Then in our worlds, coincidentally. Like like the numbers are, are crazy right now, uh, obviously through the first three games outside the three-pointer, which, you know, you know, if some of those numbers start to come down a bit, you can't, but you also expect the three-pointer to kind of level out in the, you know, mid to high 30s range. Um, he just, and if you were to look at the, it's interesting that usage is the same as last year, because I think if you were to watch, especially the first half of the year last year, um, it would feel like he was ISOing and kind of going hero ball more than, more than this year. Um, but so it's interesting to see that the usage is the same, but the, it's in the flow of the offense and he's yes. picking his spots much better than he was last year, which, you know, just that growth stepping up every year. Yeah, we should talk about changes to his personality and mm -hmm. demeanor as well. I'm actually I'm going to run the clip of his post-game interview from last night, and then we'll talk about that a little bit. Jason, you spoke last night about the joy this team is playing with. This game, though, was an all-out battle. What did it take, and, and what made the difference? Uh, man, I mean, we got to give some credit. They, they played with confidence. They made shots, um, but we got to be better. You know, 120 points, 100-plus points in the first game. You know, that's just not who we are. Um, and, I mean, it's a back-to-back. -back, it's early. But, you know, if we're trying to get back to where we want to be, you know, we got to play way better than this. And it shouldn't take, you know, the back and forth for us to, 
you know, play the right way on both ends. Uh, so we just got to start, start better. Yeah, that's, that's the meat of it. I'm not going to run the whole minute and a half clip. But, I mean, his, his thoughts after a game where, like, he was, like, killing the magic for the most part and yet, like, walked away, I guess, disappointed in the overall team effort and particularly on the defensive end. Spoonie, what do you think there? But like, firstly, about Tatum's just personality change in Nabina, like I said, but also specifically with regards to the team's defense against the Magic. Yeah, so I, I think anytime you start Noah Vonley, especially against a uh, Orlando Magic team that's very deep in the front court with Paolo giant. and Wendell Carter. Yeah, giant Wendell sure. Carter Jr. I've always been a huge fan of, and Franz Wagner is awesome oh, as well. Yeah, and touching seven feet almost. So. First, I just think it's awesome that that's how he responded in a game. He dropped 40 and clearly was the best player on the floor. And we it's not like this was a buzzer beater win, you know, like we were once Tatum hit that dagger three, there was still some time left. But, uh, you know, we we won by like five or six. Like it wasn't the most convincing win, but a win and win on a back to back where you're traveling uh, against a spunky little team. And he's just. You could tell he's like, we sucked. We should not have won this game. And I'm yeah. mad about that. And that is exactly the mindset you want him to have. Um, it's just going to be really hard to defend whenever both Horford and Robert Williams are out with the way we play defense. I've always been someone that has pushed against the narrative that Tatum um, isn't a good leader. Um, you know, and people always ripped him for not being emotive enough. And I always kind of pointed to, you know, the Tim Duncans of the world. Like, there's more than one way to do it. But at the same time, you know, to lead, you do, you know, being able to create emotional connections and lead, not just by example, but with your words at the front of the media, um, setting the tone in games. He's clearly taken that criticism and he said that in one in one of the um, post-game press conferences that he's, he heard the criticism, he's feeling the criticism, and it's become a focus for him. It's it's really, it's really impressive to see him take steps um, as a person. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I mean, this guy's, he's 24. Last year was really the first year where he was like, from the first day of the season, you are mm-hmm. the go-to guy. The year previous, we still had Kemba. Um, he was literally like 22 years old. Now he's 24. It's been his team now for a second year in a row. The fact that he's taping these steps is awesome. But at the same time, like, I'm not sure how surprising it is especially when your 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 1b is Jalen who is a kind of a more a very natural um speaker and kind of inspiring with his words so I feel like Jalen's starting to rub off on him the way that Tatum's becoming more and more thoughtful in these post-game prayer conferences especially them asking him um you know he's MVP already to start the year the questions came out in the post-game mm-hmm. and he really was just like I don't really care I don't really yeah. care. Yeah, yeah. All, all that stuff's going to come just like last year. Smart depoy, first team All-NBA. All that stuff's going to come naturally. The fact that he sees that already and that stuff's falling to the to the background, I think is huge because I think it was a focus for yeah. him previously, but priorities are shifting. Yeah. I mean, he was really timid early on. And like you said, Jake, a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was playing behind you know, Kyrie and Hayward and then Kemba. Um, but clearly, like you said, JB is rubbing off on him a little bit in that sense. He, he called him out, like sitting right next to him yeah. in an interview with our mate Chris Forsberg before the season started that he, he wants him to be a lot more vocal uh, in his leadership style. But seeing the way that he came out after that game and in a way that called out the team, I think is a really good sign. And you know, also with Tatum, he's, he's kind of as Celtics fans, the first superstar that we've been able to observe, like drafted and watch him mature and grow with the insights that the internet, the modern internet and social media give us. Like the last star that we sort of had from draft upwards was Paul Pierce, 1998. We didn't exactly have those tools <laughs> at our disposal. So you know, we do have quite a wide lens on Tatum and it's been really fun to um, have the tools to like allow us to obsess over him at this level <laughs> and watch that growth. And I think it was Greeny, Dan Greenberg, who tweeted out the other day that Tatum is now like coming into his prime right before our very eyes, um, which is just so much fun. Someone else that we should get to who may also be coming into their prime, at least as a Celtic, Derek White, clearly Ooh. someone who benefited from training camp and preseason with the Celtics. The shot uh, is starting to look like it might be real. 67% so far on corner threes, uh, 38% on above the break threes, which is insane. He's driving, he's cutting, he's maintained that sort of connective tissue element of his game, but everything is just like way more integrated with the Celtics and how they play the game. 
What else appears different about Derek White so far, Jake? His comfort and confidence levels. Like it's it's kind of night and day. Um, I think Derek White is someone that his his personality is kind of to sit back. He's he's very chill. He's like quintessential. I just want to come up, get my teammates involved. I'll do I'll do whatever it takes to win. But I'm not going to try and step on any toes. I think coming into a into a team last year at the trade deadline that has a lot of um, a lot of players that have been there for a while that um, have the cachet around the league, you know, the star power. Um, it's it's a tricky spot for a guy that was kind of the lead ball handler for his entire career in in San Antonio, and so now to have that run in the playoffs, where it's just still an underrated run. Like I feel that, um, and Z Gamer, one of the, the the fans out there, was talking about this on Twitter. It's like it was always ridiculous that he, the hate that he got last season, but now to see him fit in all these little cracks, I think people are looking for him. Um, but the corner three shot is on a completely different. Uh, comfort level. Me and Ben probably didn't um, have the eye to catch the the difference in the shooting motion off the bat, but I did go back to kind of watch some other of the highlights from the playoff run. He's definitely way more on balance, but the, the, there's just no hesitation now. Like I don't know how many did he take last night? Seven threes, like, and not not a single time has he looked hesitant this entire season so far. Um, that's probably the biggest mm-hmm. difference. Yeah, it's really tough to come into a team midseason and get comfortable, right? And when you're not a superstar player, you're not going to have the ball in your hands every possession. Comfort and confidence is such a huge part of being an effective role player, knowing what you need to do and executing it immediately. And he clearly, it just clearly took him a while to figure that out. And we all were hoping that get him in, you know, give him an offseason with this team to learn and understand his role. Um, and he's done just that. I mean, I've been incredibly impressed with not just the shooting, but yeah, just how decisive he is every time he gets the ball. He knows exactly what he's going to do or where he's going to move it. And man, it, that offense and that starting five is just like so fluid and so on. So hell, you even throw Noah Vonley in there and they're <laughs> still not missing a beat Pretty and decent. they're lighting people up. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's been great, man. It's awesome to have him as like our seventh or eighth man. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And looking really good as what might be a temporary spot in the starting lineup there while we wait for Rob Williams to to come back healthy and strong. Another new face, at least in their role that we've been getting used to, is that of Joe Mazzulla. Spoonie, just initial impressions on Joe. Like to me, I almost haven't noticed him that much, which I think is a is a great thing. Like it's everything sort sort of seems to be uh, going the same way as Ime had the team directed in the second half of the season, aside from the obvious controversy there. Uh, I think that's a good thing that we haven't noticed, like a hugely tangible difference from uh, Joe Mazzulla. But with that said, what, what differences have you noticed? First of all, there's a group of things on notice in, in the greater New England area. If you are a piece of bubble gum in New England, <laughs> you better not step in the ring with Joe Mazzula. He is going to knock you the fuck out so fast. He will chomp you to death to a fine powder and then swallow it. So every piece of gum from the Bang Cumbies in Bangor down to Johnstown, Rhode Island, man, you better be ready because if Joe picks you up, it's over for you. <laughs> And second of all, actually, really, I agree. With, I think the best thing he's done is not really change anything mm-hmm. other than he's gone small. But I think that's really just because we don't really have much of a choice. And one interesting thing he's done, and I've got a quick couple plays here uh, that I want to throw up here. He's asking Tatum to fill the Rob Williams role on defense, yes. which is really fucking hard. And he's mm-hmm. kind of doing it. So, like, you're going to see here on this first play, he's on the weak side to defense Wendell Carter Jr. is going to make a nice roll and then boom Tatum's there doesn't block the shot smart with the uh swipe down it's great help defense and he reads it and then what is it Rob Williams without chase down blocks yes. oh boom there's Tatum with the chase down block and then this last play you're going to see T- Tatum again on the weak side he's just going to come rule of verticality perfect defense um so Joe's asked him to do that it's a tall ask and man He's been pretty good at it. So I think that was a pretty ballsy thing to do is like, we're just going to go small. Maybe he didn't have a choice, but he could start Grant Williams. I mean, that's definitely an option and he's not doing it. He's asking Tatum to step up defensively and he's done that, which I think was, uh, it's been really cool to see Tatum be such a destroyer on defense so far this year. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I was wondering, I was a little worried. Like is Joe, you know, taking drugs before the game? Like how, 
how is he getting to this <laughs> level of 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 jaw chewing? Um, it's very impressive. Um, something that I think as as fans that you know aren't experts on the game. Um, and, and I find, I personally find coaching difficult to kind of figure out in basketball, especially on a team like the Celtics where they've been together for a while. They were already so good. As you said, he's not doing, um, a whole lot. Um, but you know, what we do notice is whether he is or is not taking timeouts and similar to Brad Stevens, he is looking like letting the guys play through. And we saw it in Miami where, um, the lead was at 14 or something and it cut, got cut down to six and everybody's like that was three possessions late gary washburn tweeted it out you know everybody's going back and forth and um missoula addressed it in the post game um is it for the magic because i know i never use them as you guys always say just so that you know he's aware um but i I think this is like and tatum mentioned that in even his post game um with the defense and stuff like it's early this is when you kind of experiment with lineups um making these guys push through certain things. If it's the playoffs, he's calling these timeouts earlier, just like Brad did in the playoffs. Um, so that's something that everybody's noticed. Um, I'm, I'm kind of totally fine with it. I'd rather them, because um, they weathered the storm against Miami. Like it was giving mm-hmm. me flashbacks to, the, to game seven, which they um, really beat like a dead horse in um, the game against Miami was all the highlights from game seven and how, what could have been uh, in game seven for the Heat. <laughs> Conveniently forgetting that we, there was still 17 seconds left if he makes that shot for the second. Everybody forgets like, that, man. No one mentions that. We would have had the ball yeah, down one. Yeah, like, it's yeah. not over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah how are yeah. you, man? The, the only other thing I'd add to that is during the Philly game, I think it was in the third quarter, and it may have not been during a timeout. I think it was just during a dead ball where mm-hmm. the Celtics were letting go of the rope a little bit and struggling, struggling to find that, that point where they could break through and get up sort of 10, 15 ahead of, of the sixes. And Joe brought all the fellas together and like you could do a bit of lip reading there. And he was clearly saying something like, you know, I don't care who the fuck does X, Y, or Z. Someone needs to do it. And he was kind of rallying the troops there. That's his first game in the NBA as a head coach. And he's pulling Al Horford, who's older than him and (laughs) more NBA experience. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who are bona fide superstars, pulling them all in and basically calling them out on a live national nationally televised game. That felt like a ballsy moment at that point so early in his head coach career. Uh, and it was just like a real like, fuck yeah, Joe, like good for you, <laughs> mate. Get in there and tell the fellas what's up. And it was kind of the starting point for the turnaround that led the Celtics then getting up on the sixes and, and running away with that game. So that was really exciting to see. I guess just looking back on just the magic game, uh, a point of interest coming out of that was the, the closure of that game. And we saw Malcolm Brogdon on the court closing for uh, instead of Marcus Smart. Jake, do you think that should have been the case? Or do you think that, that Joe, staying with Joe here a little bit, should have stayed with, with Marcus Smart uh, being the starting point guard in the closing lineup there? I think it was the reverse. I thought that Brogdon should have closed the Magic game over Marcus. Um, and am, do I have that right? Or do I have that wrong? I thought it was Malcolm Brogdon out there. Spoonie, can you, can you be the tiebreaker? <laughs> No, I Someone don't think I can. <laughs> no, I've, I have no idea what happened. Well, let's let's flip the question there a little bit. Malcolm Brogdon is, is clearly, you know, as much as we love Marcus Smart, the better player. And yet Marcus Smart is a member of that starting lineup and therefore might be privy to more closing lineups than Brogdon. Do you think we'll get to a point where we'll see Brogdon in more closing lineups uh, instead of Marcus Smart? Yeah, I, I think we got our first taste of whether or not Joe would be willing to kind of do stuff like that in the heat game where Jalen got in the foul trouble and he pulled Jalen with like five and a half minutes to go. And mm-hmm. Jalen was on the, you know, getting ready to go back into the game and, you know, he was going back and forth. And then Joe just sent him back to the bench with like two or so minutes left. He could have easily called a timeout in order to force Jalen into the game. Um, but he, he kind of let it play out um, and it worked out. And, we and you know, what's great about this team so far, very drama free so far now that we're actually playing games. Um, there was no questions about it really in the in the post game or anything like that that led to you know any any tension points or anything like that. So that's definitely our first taste of um, whether or not he's willing to do it. I thought that Marcus kind of had a pretty rough game against the Magic and um, like some early yeah. shot clock threes. Some when they were trying to beat the zone, he, that he had that incredibly like one handed pass like from four feet outside the top of the three point line. Turnover went back the other way, and the magic closed the gap to like two. 
I was like, I think Brogdon's the guy for mm-hmm. to close this game. And um, so I wonder how how soon it's going to be till we see Brogdon because I think there's going to be plenty of situations where he should close, whether it's with Smart, without Smart. I think there's going to be situations where he should do should put him in there. Yeah, like it's clear. Yeah, we all love and trust Marcus Smart, but Brogdon is the superior player on all ends. Obviously, Marcus Smart is the uh, the reigning deep all ends. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, almost all ends. Like I, I think that what. Um, what Brogdon gives up on defense is nothing compared to what Smart gives up on offense, especially when compared to what Brogdon offers. So in the sense of a closing lineup, I, I do think that, again, qualify this by saying as much as I personally love and trust Marcus Smart, that Brogdon is, is the better closing option. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see as the season progresses if Joe goes all in on that or is more a vibesman in terms of like sticking with the chemistry and the history there with that starting lineup. Uh, anything to add there, Spoonie? Yeah, so... Um- Smart did end the game. Brogdon came out with six minutes left and Marcus ended the game. So I think that what Malcolm Brogdon is great at is on offense is very easy to see. And what he's bad at is not. Mm -hmm. And the opposite is true for Marcus Smart. So Smart had a horrible shooting game, but I, I, I saw a play earlier in the game. I'm going to run it real quick. And it's, an action to get Sam Hauser a three, but in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, look at how wide open Peyton Pritchard is. And Brogdon still just runs the play and gives it to Hauser, right? He doesn't have the court vision to make this play. So just, just watch Peyton. He's going to kind of throw this like weird. Okay. Well, I screwed the clip up. Never mind. Uh, you're going to oh, have to trust me that Peyton Pritchard <laughs> was wide open at that point. So, my bad. He completely missed Pritchard. He's wide open. He tosses it to Hauser. Hauser misses the three. Mm-hmm. And it's just moments like that where when Brogdon drives and finishes on somebody, it's like, oh man, Malcolm Brogdon rules. And when he misses that pass, it's like, well, Hauser missed a shot, right? You don't even think Malcolm Brogdon did anything wrong on that play, but he did. He missed mm-hmm. a wide open elite corner shooter. So I, I'm fine with smart playing. Um, I'm, I'm fine with smart closing games. There will be matchups where I think it makes a lot of sense to have Brogdon over him, though. And that's the luxury of having them both, right? You can mix and match or play them both together. Um, to close out a game, so uh, I I would roll. I'd ride with Smart, uh, you know, until the wheels come off on closing games. If yeah, I had I'm to sh- pick between the two, I'm sure I'm going to cop a lot of flack there for uh, even uttering the <laughs> thought that I was favoring Brogdon. And like you said, it's probably the biggest benefit of our deep guard lineup is that we can, whether it's matchup wise or just who's having the better game, we can actually chop and choose who we put out there to to close games. Um, yeah. I also think that Smart's style and chemistry is more complementary with the Jays, at least at this point. Maybe that changes as Brogdon's tenure with the Celtics matures a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Smart for now, uh, in terms of what he offers a lineup along with the Jays on the court, who are probably doing more of the playmaking anyway, particularly in the case of Tatum, uh, it's probably uh, better there for uh, for Smart. I'm just noticing the minutes uh, when I was looking at the box score. Only only 21 minutes for Brogdon. Um that definitely seems to be part of the plan. So it's been 25, 25, 21, which is pretty low for a guy that's that freaking good, incredibly low. Um, and Marcus was up at 36 minutes. So yeah, I, I, I does think that I do think that that's where they're going to end up going is smart's going to be you know, the starter and the closer for the most part. But um, yeah, and, and we're going to keep him healthy. So that, that's probably a good strategy anyway. Yeah, good call. All right, now it's time for a break and a very quick mentor, very quick message from our sponsor. Michael Myers sure is scary, but the last thing you need is to be hairy this Halloween. Luckily, our friends at Manscaped launched their fourth generation performance package to make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Turn your bite-sized treat into a king-sized candy and join the six million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping with the promo code First, what is it? First 18 now? First 18. Uh, first, yeah. first 18. All right. Make the right call this spooky season. It's trick or trim. And Jake, I think you just said you got your nice manscaped gear in. It's beautiful stuff. I've had it for about uh, six months now, and I use it all the time. 
the knee, the ear and nose hair trimmer. My wife always tells me I got nose hairs poking out. So I grab that bad boy and boom, it's very simple, <laughs> very easy. It's the best. They're finely tuned pube products feature a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is easily the greatest ball trimmer on the planet. Like I just said, and oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? this trimmer shower essential the performance package also includes the weed whacker the game changer for your hygiene arsenal seal the deal with manscapes liquid formulations crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver ball toner will make sure your pumpkins stay fresh trust me when i say this fellas your balls will thank you they also just launched a new body buffer, 100% antibacterial body scrubber. is just what you need to keep you fresh and clean for Halloween. So get 20% off and free shipping with First18 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code First18 at manscaped.com. Say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. I <laughs> love it. Thanks, Booty. Jake, you just picked up your Manscaped, uh, I want to call it the performance package earlier right. today. You obviously joined the podcast in the off season and finally they've got those uh, promotional products out to you. Uh, is it too early to ask for first impressions? Yeah, look, I haven't gotten to it um, today, but you know, as someone that had the 3.0, the 4.0, I can't, now, you know, me and my fiance can stop sharing the 3.0 and I can get my own. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. right. There you go. Move it up in the world. I love it. Um, All right, let's move on. Al Horford, he sat out the magic game, second night of a back-to-back, and to use the appropriate medical science term here, set out with oldness uh, or lower back tightness, as it was reported. Um, Seeing as how much trouble the Orlando Magic's size gave us, hashtag size matters, what is your level of concern, Spoonie, uh, with the big man rotation, or in the case of the magic game, the lack thereof? I'm extremely concerned. I think if anything's going to sink this team, it's going to be the big man rotation, whatever that kind of is. I mean, Vonley, look, if he's your third big, I think he's proved he can get you eight, 10 minutes a night and he's not going to kill you. Him starting is a freaking disaster, yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, the magic just took turns getting him on a switch and attacking him. And I think Jake, I can't remember where you were on Cornette, but I think, Ben, you and I were probably some of the few skeptics, in, <laughs> you know, uh, in the offseason. Like, it, like, am I fucking crazy? People are talking like Luke Cornette is like, like, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Hakeem, I was going to say Porzingis, but even still, they're both light years better than Luke Cornett. I mean, he looked unplayable against a team that's going to probably be one of the five worst teams in the NBA. So not a great sign uh, for Luke. So I, I don't know what we do. I, I just hope Rob maybe you know, if we can, <laughs> yeah, Rob, I mean, please. Three, you know, yeah, please Rob, just come back. I'm at a <laughs> loss for where yeah. it's like once him and Al are back, we'll be great. Von Lake can be the third big, no big deal, but that's a long ways away. Yeah, um, I was someone who thought Luke Cornett was underrated kind of a lot a while ago, like should right. be out of the league, should be like can be a third big. And then it went way too far the other direction where it's like, oh, we, we can give Al nights off. We got Luke Cornett. Clearly, clearly that is not the case. Um, uh-huh. Last night's a bad matchup. Like that team is huge like that might be the, the biggest team in the league actually because they're just running lineups with with bowl bowl you know Pal- Paolo is a giant as well Franz Wendell like there was multiple six foot ten guys out there pretty much the entire game so it is a bad matchup from that point of view the good thing is the Celtics are so damn good in other areas that they're able to overcome that in a game like that I don't know how many teams there are like that um obviously you know have got the, the Bucks, the Magic, the Sixers, um, but like the Heat, Bam's not huge. Obviously, we had Al for that game, um, but like the Bulls for the next game, you know, Vooch isn't exactly killing you from from down low. Granted, he did have a big rebounding night the other night. Um, we're going to have potentially, what, like four to six weeks, we hope, when Rob comes back to the trade deadline. That's going to be a pretty important period to kind of figure out if we need to make a trade or not because this team's good enough to win a title and mm-hmm. 
you're gonna you, you're gonna want to shore up that last piece if Rob goes down again because as much as we love Al, um, the oldness may pop up um, potentially. I think just asking him to carry the front court for an entire playoffs again if Rob goes down is yeah, <laughs> it's not realistic um, to actually win the title. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be something that we have to monitor. Uh, I'm surprised we haven't seen any Cabangeli yet. Again, I've you know everybody's kind of clamoring to at least see it. Um, I don't know if they're saving his games. Ben, what do you reckon? I thought we might have seen some Cabangeli against the Magic there because we were going pretty hard on the Grant at the five lineup, and it just wasn't working. And it's no knock on Grant; like he's just not big enough to defend the size of a team like the Magic. And we we lucked out in that the Magic are very big, but they're also very young and inexperienced collectively, and don't really know how to win as a unit yet. But we are going to see bigger, better, more experienced teams, and with our two best big men so prone to missing time. That's really concerning. So I did think maybe we'd see some cab in the magic game just from a throw some shit against the wall and see what sticks perspective. Um, in the end, the shit that was thrown against the wall did stick in the end, particularly because Tatum hit some pretty clutch shots to end that game. But yeah, they're very, very concerning in that our, our top big men are that prone to, uh, to missing time. And you mentioned the trade possibilities. I think that's going to be the top of the list of things that we talk about up until the trade deadline and specifically using the Gallo contract uh, or a remaining TPE or possibly Peyton Pritchard contract. I know, poor or a guy. combination of all of the above. Yeah, to, to fill that hole uh, in the big man spot because I, I'm a little bit troubled by our lack of depth at the wing as well. Like we can talk about Hauser a little bit later. He, he did all right in this game, came in, hit most of his threes and, and didn't shoot the bed defensively. Uh, a comment here from Sports Aptitude, uh, Eric Weiss, I believe. We're three games in. Let's not bury the backup bigs <laughs> just yet. Yeah, I mean, let's not bury Cavagelli. Let's let's give him a go, especially, in, you know, second game of a back-to-back against a team like the Magic, struggling against their size. To me, that's where we'd throw Cab in. I suppose at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we got it done, but it's going to be a problem uh, as the season progresses. Spoonie, anything else to add there? Particularly, like we touched on the idea of trading for a big. Do you think that's on the cards for Brad Stevens and, and co.? Yeah, I don't think yet. I, I think I agree with Eric. Like you got to let Cornette and, and Vonley play and see what you have with them because you never know, right? They might figure it out. We're still winning games sort of somewhat in spite of how big of a role Vonley has to play, which is unfair to him again. Like he seems like he will be just fine as a 10 minute, 12 minute a night backup, which is a great find off the scrap heap. A dude you just pick up out of nowhere who's played on like a half the teams in the league. Right. So, um, yeah, let run Luke out there for, you know, 15 minutes a night, see what he's got, give us some cabin galley. And then if that's not working, I think Jake, you're spot on. Rob is so fragile that we just cannot risk that costing us a title and you got to do anything you can to get at least a Tice level backup behind Al. But, um, you know, it's kind of works out nicely, right? The Gallo can't be traded until like the end of December anyway. So um, that'll be kind of perfect timing. I think we'll have a much better idea of where Von Lee and Cornette are in kind of the grand scheme of the roster by that point. And if we need to make a move, We'll have some ammo to make a move, but I will miss Peyton Pritchard quite a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And again, if Al's not resting, then they're not starting. And that was more the issue like last night. Like until coming into last night, I mean, everybody was celebrating Brad Stevens as a freaking genius because of bringing in Noah Vonley. So in the right role at eight to 12 minutes, as you said, Spoonie, absolutely gem of a find. Absolutely. Look, it's going to be a point of concern as the season rolls along. We're probably going to be talking about it ad nauseum every week here on First to the Floor. We do need to talk about the other Jay, whose name is Jalen Brown, 25 Mm. points per game on 52% shooting from the floor. Uh, And also, for the most part, getting to the rim at will, very similar to one Jason Tatum. Did have a rough game against the Magic, which Mm. is why he sort of bumped down our run sheet here. But for the most part, has looked like crazy good. I know it's super early, but Spoonie, is this... Just to go super broad here, is this an all-star slash all-NBA season for Jalen Brown three games in with one bad game? I think, you know, the only reason he won't win MVP is because he'll split votes with uh, Jason Tatum. (laughs) Correct answer. Uh, I I think uh, the problem with Jalen is that he does not fill up the 
the box score, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> like your traditional all NBA guys are at least flirting with a double double or have a nice mix of, you know, they're over yeah. five rebounds, maybe four or five assists at least. Jalen just doesn't really do that. We don't really ask him to do that. And part, it also partly because, you know, he's not much, he's not a great playmaker. He's a great play finisher. So I think you would have to average a ton of points um, to make all NBA. And I just not sure that's going to happen. I don't think I want him to, because I don't want him playing that many minutes. Uh, him and him and Jason are already like high thirties a night. And that is just too many minutes this early in the season. So, um, you know, I think he's got an outside chance at all NBA third team. I think he'll definitely make the all-star team though. Yeah. I think, I think it would be very surprising if he didn't make the all-star team just because the Celtics, are going to be, I mean, that's probably like 25, 30, 40 games away. So it'll be like 40 and 0 at that point. And so um, you're going to have to put the second best player on the undefeated team in the All-Star game, obviously. But to make All-NBA, like, the Celtics have to win a shitload of games. And the, the he's going to be put in as a guard. Um, or maybe he's going to be put in as a forward then. Because he's always been put in a guard. We've been playing double bigs. But then the, the stupid... Never makes Votes any sense. Thing, but but like, if he goes in as a guard, it's going to be impossible because it's like Steph, Luca, Ja, Trey. And then it's like he's fighting for the last two spots with like Booker, like Lillard, who's already averaging like 40 points. It's just going to be really tough to actually squeeze onto all NBA as a guard. Forward, maybe a better chance, but it's just really difficult to make all NBA. I know I was very, yes. I've kind of been banging the drum. Like we got to get him all NBA so we can offer him the full super max kind of extension um, with the cap going up, but uh, it's going to be going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, we've seen countless players throughout the, the history of the NBA who have that elite scoring punch, who just don't make all NBA or even the all-star team just because that's not necessarily enough to make them stand out from the crowd. And in the case of all-star, you're looking at what the top 30 players in the league all NBA, looking at the top 15, mm. and that being your major point of emphasis as an impactful player, it's maybe just not enough to, to slide you into either of those squads. Uh, and it's just unfortunate for Jalen because he's more than capable, but I suppose just based on his role on the team, that's just how the cookie crumbles in that case. Running out of time here, we do need to mention Grant Williams, who's been nearly perfect from the floor so far in the season. Effective field goal percentage of 1.1%. Four, three. Normally, for even elite players, we're looking at like less than 1.0 for that particular stat. Um, no longer a tenant of the corner office. He, he owns, I would say, the entire skyscraper's worth of corner offices. Every four corners is just dominating that corner office role. Um, can we declare officially, Jake, that, that Grant has officially come back like way, way better than last season? Um, I don't know how long it's going to take me to uh, get used to him making every single shot. Like I'm every time he every time he hits a three and like then he hit some really big and important shots in the first three games and every time I'm like who the hell is this guy like he is the most dependable dude like he as you said he's averaging over a hundred well one point zero effective field goal like it's an absolutely absurd um, clip but like he's been doing it for almost a year and a bit like how many games now between all of last season the playoffs and these first three games like it's kind of clear that that's who he is now he looks incredibly confident doing it now um the off the bounce stuff that we saw at the preseason showing little bits of that attacking closeouts and making plays um he did kind of get mad at Tatum for not inbounding it at the end of the game but buddy you got to make sure Tatum gets those free throws to get him to 40 I know you're trying to get that back but um you gotta get those to Tatum yeah, re- real quick, Grant is second on the team uh, from the corners, shooting a horrible 83% from the corner. <laughs> oh, second to Sam Hauser, who is six of six from the corner for the season. <laughs> and real quick, Landon Lakes in the chat posed this question. Do you feel Hauser is a potential threat to Grant because he's a cheap three-point shooter? And I will say that the value of Grant Williams isn't that he's a shooter. It's that he's a shooter and a borderline elite defensive player who can match up <laughs> over one point. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted by the chat here. It's that Grant, <laughs> Grant, in addition to being a borderline elite shooter, is also a borderline elite defensive player capable of guarding Giannis. 
um, or some big men. He does well on Jokic. And you can't just switch on to him with a guard and break him down off the dribble. So Hauser is not that type of defensive player at all. Maybe he's a tiny bit better than we thought, but he is not anywhere near Grant Williams' stratosphere as a defensive player. And that's why Grant's so valuable, because he shoots 40%, can take you off the dribble a little bit, and he's great defensively. So, no, I'm not worried about Hauser. Like, I'm not worried about us letting Grant go because we have Sam Hauser on the roster. Absolutely not. And I think as long as his dad, Gilbert, is willing to come on the podcast uh, <laughs> regularly throughout the season, uh, then there's no way we can... He's our basically our, our line into the team, into the yeah. squad. Uh, he's our correspondent, if you will. So, uh, we've got to keep Grant around for, for that, if nothing else. Guys, we've got to hand out some awards for, for the week before we wrap up here. First of all, we'll run through this one very quickly. MVP of the week. It's obviously Jason Tatum. Yeah. Any arguments? Any arguments at all in the chat or between yourself, uh, Jake, and Wayne Spoonie? Um, No. We're going to have no. to, you know, because he's probably going to win a lot of these or be in the running to win a lot of these. So we just, just got to make sure we spread the love around as we get through the season. He might be the MVP of the league so yeah. far after yeah. three games. So <laughs> I think he's fair to say he's the MVP of the team. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to hand out our favorite award here on First to the Floor, and that is the First to the Floor Award. And this week it goes to... Have I got the, the right clip here? I do. The Vibes goes to The Vibesman himself. Blake. Look at that. Blake Griffin. <laughs> dude, big play. <laughs> it was a very big, big play. play, dude. Yeah, amazing. Uh, first to the Floor, at least in the Magic game there, Blake Griffin. Love to see it. He, he earned a bit of a rep, uh, sort of a reinvention of his NBA player archetype as this exactly this First to the Floor Kind of guy, him and Patty Mills it's so taking funny. charges. He's hustle. A, he's a uh, charge diving on the floor glue guy that just like goes out and hangs out with the dudes, brings people to dinner and stuff. To go from you know where he was to that, I just it's such impressive self awareness and and career career focus to stay mm-hmm. in the league and rack up a few extra million before he heads out. Genius. Yeah, Spoonie. We haven't. Have we seen him taking a take a charge yet though? I think one, he's right? One. I think he yeah. took one in the in yeah. the Philly game. Yeah. Like I was told he would be taking dozens of charges here. So I want to see a little bit more of that. But uh Blake's done okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I expect no. essentially nothing. Yeah. And he's not he's had some bad moments, but you know, you hustle like that and you make a three here and there, like, yeah, you stick around for a while. It's been fun. It's cool to have like Griffin on the Celtic yeah. kind of, yeah. right? He's just so famous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't quite seen that windmill dunk yet, but you know, we're hanging out for <laughs> yeah. it every day. Literally every minute he's on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Not so much uh, above the rim, but doing very well below the rim. It's so far below the rim that he's actually uh, first to the floor, just to wrap up that segment. Uh, Jake, <laughs> do you want to run us through the, uh, the top down list of the Schadenfreude report, which is going to be a regular segment on this podcast? Man, what a week for the Schadenfreude report. I mean, <laughs> the, first of all, we got to beat the Sixers. Then they lose to the Bucks in crushing fashion where Tobias Harris blows a def- defensive assignment and Joel Embiid's, you know, throwing up his hands, blaming his teammates, um, bad body language. And then going into their third game against the Spurs, who are coming off a back-to-back in Indiana. <laughs> Only the Sixers could have a must-win game after three games. Like, Truly, <laughs> truly, and you knew it from the first five minutes. It was like, oh, the Spurs are the Spurs are here to actually play. No one's told them that they're tanking. And then Jakob Pertl just like took Joel Embiid's lunch money down the stretch. So nothing makes me happier yeah. than that. Um, this is not like a good a good thing. Um, but Scotty Barnes had an injury yesterday, um, which is just like you know when the when you're battling for um, seating in the East, it's just something to note. And they and they did lose to the Heat. Um, Celtics beat the Heat. Good for the standings. Um, mm-hmm. The Lakers today, they're also <laughs> also zero three. So Sixers zero three, Lakers zero three, Celtics three. You know, pretty pretty good stuff. Um, the Lakers are just a, like I, I kind of got annoyed that we're talking about them so much, but you almost can't help it because they they are failing in such spectacular fashion to start the year. Um, so that's beautiful. The Bucks and the Seas, though, I will say the Bucks have looked pretty solid. Giannis had like forty four and. 12 and whatever and elite defense against the Sixers. It's going to be the Bucks in the season at the end of the season. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, it's certainly looking that way. And like, yeah, just to reiterate, obviously not celebrating the Scotty Barnes injury <laughs> in any way, shape or form or any injury, just more of no. like a sort of a holistic yeah. hatred towards the Raptors and I any the Raptors. other contending Eastern Conference team. Um, 
Spoonie, running down that list of, of sort of schadenfreude moments that make you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, anything in particular that stands out or anything that hasn't been mentioned thus far? Um, not, I'm not sure about not been mentioned, but it's just so fun yeah. to watch the Sixers <laughs> yes. absolutely implode. And also Ben Simmons seems like he kind of sucks still. So that's also kind of fun too. I've been enjoying that, even though I just traded for him in fantasy, but you know, he's getting his stats. He's just averaging literally five points a game. He is barely looking at the rim. It's unbelievable. Yep. <laughs> unbelievable. Now that we, as Australians, have rejected him as a nation, it's much more fun to enjoy the. the it still hurts me just a tiny well. bit. That is bad. <laughs> yeah. but, you, know. you get used to it. Yeah. Uh, upcoming <laughs> schedule. We're going to look at very quickly before we wrap up this podcast. So tomorrow we're playing on the road against the Bulls. Then we got the Cavs and Wizards at home later on in the week. Jake, just looking down that schedule, I, I feel like I'm on the verge of saying, well, those are just three incredibly winnable games. Of course, we'll go three and zero again. Mm. But also, realistically, you kind of got to imagine that like we are going to lose eventually here. We're sure to lose yes. one of those games. <laughs> uh, what are your predictions for the upcoming three games? We will lose a game eventually, probably. Um, it's kind of, in my opinion, kind of a big game tomorrow because we have three days off between the mm-hmm. Bulls game and the Cavs game. So, like, if you can kind of lock in and get the win tomorrow, you're going to be the, the more rested team at home for the Cavs. And just, like, piling up these early early season wins are going to lead to us being able to give more rest to Jalen, Jason, Al, mm-hmm. etc. Um, the Bulls haven't looked very good so far, but, you know, it's the NBA. It's one game. Anything can happen. The Celtics just match up with them really well. Like, DeRozan's going to do his mid-range stuff, and um, the Celtics are the best equipped to kind of deal with that. So, um, yeah, WWW, obviously. World Wide Web. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Experience. Yeah, um, wouldn't it be very Celtics to your third game in four nights at Chicago, you win that and then you get yeah. a few days off and come back home and then you lose to the Cavs with, you know what I mean? They just like look, look rusty. So I'm going two and one with the loss to the Cavs who are a talented, very talented team in their own right. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be the Cavs if we lose to any of those teams. They got a lot of size in the paint there with Jarrett Allen and Mobley. And typically in the past, we've struggled attacking the rim when such size is present. And yeah. then, you know, we'll probably have Al Horford back for those games. But uh, as we've discussed, the the rotation for big men significantly drops off after that point. Al's not going to be able to play 48 minutes. So I do think that will be problematic for us. Uh, guys, that is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching here on YouTube, please go ahead and like and subscribe and help us bump those numbers up. If you're listening to the pod later, a rating and a review goes a long way. We're going to be back later this week and constantly throughout the season. Hopefully, the vibes around the Celtics remain absolutely immaculate as they have been thus far. Spoonie, Jake, love your work, mates. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. All right. Until next time, go Celtics. (laughs) 